There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of the Dope Black Dads podcast. I am your host, Lewis Howell. And today, today we are talking about a topic that is so, so pertinent, so, so important. And honestly, it's one that you want to make sure, even though you might put the podcast on whilst you're, you know, doing some cooking, you're on a drive, you're taking a walk, you're on the way to work. I really want you to ensure that you take in what's going to be discussed in this episode, because this is super super important we're talking about mental health for black fathers mental health for young black fathers but to be honest with you the kind of stuff we're going to explore is relevant to black fathers full stop so i am joined by a phenomenal guest and i cannot wait i cannot wait to get into this conversation with our guest so let me just tell you who it is that i'm speaking to today yeah I am joined by Dr. Tice Nadrich, who is an assistant professor and the graduate program director for the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program at Moyleo University. He is a licensed mental health counselor, board certified counselor, and approved clinical supervisor. He obtained his PhD in counseling from Montclair State University, his master's in education and clinical mental health counseling from St. John State University, and his BA in psychology from the City University of New York, Queens College. Dr. Tice, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> we appreciate you for joining us. We appreciate you for joining us. So let's let's get into this because obviously we actually were having a conversation before we started recording about like how much of your bio do you really want me to get into? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, do you want me to keep it short? Do you want me to keep it long? So I think a natural place to start is for you to tell us maybe a bit about your journey. And when I talk about your journey, I'm sure this will span across the personal and professional in some way. But then I'm sure it will help us to understand like why it is you even chose to become a mental health counsellor and kind of go into this study on black paternal mental health. Yeah, I, I'm happy to talk about that. And thank you. And, you know, um, we were talking as we were talking before, you know, I I try my best to be humble. I don't like to talk about myself too much um, because at the end of the day, as I said to you before, I was like, my mom calls me Tice. So I feel like that's good enough <laughs> for most people. Um, I, my journey as a counselor really started in my undergraduate study at, at Queens College in, in New York City. For folks who don't know, I'm based at, I'm based in the States. Um, 
And I started studying a few different things. I started in education. I kind of, you know, jumped around like a lot of folks did. And I landed on psychology eventually, um, just mostly through happenstance. And as I started to learn about psychology and counseling and that whole world, I reflected a lot on me. I, I was I, I was not a, a good student throughout high school and through grade school. I, I got into a lot of mess when I was young um, yeah, yeah, yeah. for a lot of personal and also environmental reasons. So my pursuit to counseling was really almost a pursuit of trying to help my younger self. It started really with teens and thinking about young teens of color and young black teens. I, when I thought about me and I reflected on me, the question I always ask myself is, is I, I wonder who I could have been or where I would have been at different points in my life had I had someone like who I was aspiring to be, a therapist, a counselor, or even a mentor in some capacity. I don't, I don't want to paint the picture like I was without mentors. I think they were there. Um, yeah. I think it's, you know, maybe my ability to, to utilize them effectively wasn't there. Um, so that really urged my journey into counseling. And when I first became a professional counselor, I actually worked in juvenile detention. Um, so in New York, I worked in juvenile detention in New York City, where the vast majority of the population were folks who looked like me. It was really young brown and black brothers in juvenile detention. Mm. And it was there that I ended up hearing these interesting kind of compliments but didn't feel like good compliments it was like how come i've never had therapists like you or how come my therapists in the past have never done this that and the third and i kept asking myself i'm like i don't think i'm doing anything <laughs> like i'm not I'm, I'm just healing these young brothers it's all i'm doing i'm you know playing a little bit of music for them because they haven't been out to hear the latest album drop or something like that and that was when i really decided to pursue my doctorate because i really decided i, I felt empowered or emboldened or even called to say i need to be involved in teaching counselors so that young folk out there don't necessarily who hopefully won't encounter the same things that i'm encountering or that i'm hearing folks encounter this idea of i've never had a therapist who does xyz um you know, we were talking briefly about being uh, young fathers very briefly. I'm, I'm a relatively young father. My eldest is yeah. almost three and my youngest just oh, turned congratulations one. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. Congratulations. Um, and my, I think my pursuits into black mental health once again start, black men's and black fathers' mental health once again started with me when I, when we were pregnant during COVID, you know, my daughter was born in June 2020. So if you do the timeline, do the math right there, we were and yeah, I remember, three months into, into yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. But, and, and on top of that, remember, I live in, again, like the way the news travels, I live just outside of New York City. So New York City was Whoa. where COVID hit the hardest in the mm. States first. Like that's where it went down. So dealing with that isolation with that connect with that lack of connection in terms of who i'm supposed to be what i'm supposed to be doing on top of the pandemic and then interesting encounters about what my job is supposed to be as a dad you know i started to notice these interesting things where me going to appointments or not being able to go to appointments um affected me in a weird way if i go it almost seems like I get this like extra special treatment that's like, oh, the dad is here. Like that, that's a big thing when I'm just like, I'm just showing up. But then if I don't go, there was this guilt that hit me. Almost that I was supposed to be there, that I had to be there. What did it mean for me if I wasn't there? Um, and I think that really just continued to manifest 
throughout my early fatherhood identity that I kept asking myself, I said, I'm wondering what's going on with other brothers as they emerge as fathers. And I didn't find the answer for that in research. So me and my colleagues, including some of the folks we were talking about um, before we started, we wanted to figure that out. And that's what we're trying to do right now is is how, how do we be the right kind of help for black dads um, as they're trying to figure out what it means to be a dad and a black dad. That is huge. That is huge. And I can really empathize because, you know, I was saying to you, I'm a very fairly new father, right? I've, a, I've got a daughter that's seven months old. And similarly, I was that same person. I have to be at every appointment. Like I, ref- I refuse to miss an appointment. I refuse to not be there. And don't get me wrong. Part of that is you want to ensure that you're present for the process and you want to be there to really be um, a support base for your partner. But I'll be real if I'm being 100% honest, and I, I don't even know how well I've articulated this to my fiance, to be fair, but part of that was also because I just wanted to ensure that I could break what I felt was a stereotype. Um, and I must admit, once my daughter was born, because we had her in a birthing center, so it's very midwife-led, right? And it's a beautiful environment, beautiful space. And um, there was a midwife, black woman, who she was just phenomenal throughout the whole process. But she said to me straight, she was like, do you know why I keep coming and checking on you lot, even though you're not, te- I'm not technically your midwife? She's like, it's because I very rarely see black couples in here like this. I don't see the dads around. Like, I just see the mothers. And don't get me wrong, they might be in a relationship and the dad might be, but the dads just don't stay. And I just used to, so there was a part of me that was like, this is exactly why I was doing this. But anyway, it, on, on that note, yeah, it kind of makes me wonder then the role that stereotypes as an example but i'm sure you can talk about other forms of social and societal dynamics what kind of impact they have on black men's mental health so i know that for example we could comment on the role that stereotypes play the role that trauma plays but yeah i'd love to hear more from your opinion on what how do some of these societal and social dynamics impact black men's mental health and especially black fathers yeah so so first of all congrats on seven months in um you know every every day is a milestone every month is a milestone every year is a milestone so congrats on being seven months in and what you just said about there was that there there was that dual dynamic that you had where it was i want to be there i feel compelled to be there because that's where i want to be you also said that other piece which is the piece that i don't think gets said out loud enough about black dads is I feel like I have to be there because and 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 the the part that follows that is the because if I'm not, what does it mean about me? What does it mean about black men? That's the piece. And when you talk about stereotypes, that's what we're talking about is, is what and the word I use often is narrative. So so bear with me. When I talk about narratives. I talk about the yeah. stories that we've been told directly or indirectly. You've been told a story and I'll branch this out a little bit. Black men have been told a story. And in some ways, some, all men, but I'm just talking about black men, have been told a story about what fathers are supposed to be and what black fathers are supposed to be. And unfortunately, the story that I think doesn't get told enough or isn't reinforced enough is about the dope black dad, about the dope, about the dad who is there for everything, who's doing the things that you shared. The narrative that we hear all too much is about incarceration, about absent fathers, about about all of those things. Those are the things that we hear very unfortunately throughout a lot of media and through a lot of literature. We don't highlight 
the dope black dads. And the the main, well, I'll say two ways. Number one, it's it's a problem that we hear this because it's wrong. There are a lot of dope black dads out there doing the damn thing. The other piece is, is that we carry those narratives. I, my hunch here is, is that you're not even sure where exactly it got stuck in your mind that you have to counter the narrative because it was so ingrained in us, ingrained in you, that I have to make sure that I'm not this stereotype. And that weighs on us because I'll, go, I'll give the example I gave. With my, with my daughter being born June 2020 in New York, I literally wasn't allowed to attend certain appointments at times. And you're talking about this, this idea of, well, I have to be there because I, I want to counter that stereotype. I didn't have an option at certain points. In fact, there was a moment where we were concerned I wasn't going to be there for the delivery um, just because of COVID and because of hospital lockdowns and things like that. And similar to you, I don't think I shared with my wife um, how scared I was of the idea of not being there. Um, I probably shared with her how scared I was and thought of being there for different reasons. I probably shared that part, but I don't think I shared with her how scared I was of the possibility of not being there. And it wasn't just me possibly missing something. It was also about what it means for me, for someone who looks like me, for a man, for a black man to not be present for something that would be reinforcing the stereotype that we don't show up, that we don't do these things. And that's just, I, the idea of reinforcing that just, it, I, I, I'm being a little hyperbolic when I say it, but it, it was killing me inside. And wow. yeah. the research that I'm doing right now with my colleagues, we're hearing those exact same stories from men. Mm. This idea of what it means, the pressure attached to the stereotype. And you can branch this out to when kids get older. I have to make sure that I'm there for the parent-teacher conference. I have to make sure I'm there for the after-school thing. I have to make sure that I'm present for these things because the alternative would somehow mean that I'm reinforcing the stereotype that people are going to see me as that stereotype. And I don't want to be seen as that stereotype. Um, this, this is mad. This is, do you know, this is the reason I say this is mad is because we're digging into some really serious stuff here. So I, I want to kind of, um, I'm going to go backwards ever so slightly because you mentioned earlier how your experience during your time of study not only compelled you to want to be able to engage with service users, effectively those who would benefit from counseling services, but actually you've taken it upon yourself to say, I need to help to, and this is how I'm describing it. I know you didn't word it like this, but I'm going to nurture a generation of up and coming counselors who also can go about being able to contribute to this space. So ideally those that look like us, who can work with our community. Um, I imagine that's kind of part of the work that you're doing as coordinator of clinical training at um, Balanced Mental Health, right? Yes, within, 100%. Yeah. Within Huntington. Yeah, yeah, th yeah. yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for dropping okay. that in there, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so no, 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 definitely. But I think also on top of that, because obviously, as we both probably know, impact is always limited when you it relies on our in-person engagement. So that's why I also commend you because you was mentioning earlier that obviously you've written a um, chapter as part of the new book, Black Fathering and Mental Health, which Dr. Hannon, who's a good friend and colleague of yours, you said already, um, was have a, has of course edited. And that book, I mean, maybe you can tell us a bit more about it, but from what I understand, it's, it's contributions from a range of different 
colleagues and professionals of yours who are offering unique perspectives on the needs, the challenges and the victories of black fathering in what we all know is an anti-black world. So maybe you can give us a bit more context around that as well and how that's helping to really break some of these barriers down. Yeah, I, I'm listen, always a big shout out to, to Michael Hannon, Dr. Hannon. Um, he is a friend. He is a mentor. He is a former professor of mine. Uh, I, I love him dearly. Wow. And what he did in this book, and I'll do my best to do him justice. What he did with this book was what he wanted. He wanted to highlight the narratives of black fathers experiences across a variety of situations. So the example I'll give is, is that my my chapter was written about the expectant father. That's what it might, specifically the, the expectant heterosexual father. That was the idea. But sure. there are chapters written about having children who are in adolescence, children who are adults, um, multiracial children, same sex couples. The idea was, was to highlight the multitude of black fatherhood that there is in a single place where you get to hear all of these narratives and grounded in mental health, right? It's all, part of that is also talking about mental health within that. But it really was to, you know, we, we, all, we often talk about the black experience is not monolithic. This was to reinforce that. We're, we're, we're teasing apart the monolithic perspective of black people and black men and showing that there are a variety of experiences for black fathers throughout the throughout the spectrum that is fatherhood the development of fatherhood identity and fatherhood experiences um and again my chapter i already shared my daughter was born when she was born it was written about my daughter in many ways it was written about my experiences while while my daughter was in utero and very shortly thereafter i actually added a little something afterwards about some of the things that i said about my daughter being born during the peak of the covid pandemic in new york um but that's the essence of the book and it's a beautiful book that i had the privilege of contributing to without a doubt no that, this is deep I, I, you i wish we could have just we, we felt, we're gonna have to like, i'm gonna actually just say it now so hopefully the editors hear this but we need to clip that point you just said around it's about being able to break down this monolithic idea of our experiences and being able to focus on the variety of experiences that we have as black fathers because effectively you know it, it and we go back to the, the idea of it being an anti-black world. Oftentimes, that is a fruit of a systemically racist system. Is that quite often we are we are viewed as a monolith, and our individual identities are not always acknowledged. So, I really appreciate you breaking that down. And um, so, on that note, then, how do mental health issues affect the journey of fatherhood? Um, for black men, I mean, I guess we've talked a little bit about as we approach fatherhood, but then I guess you also mentioned when you was referencing, you know, parent-teacher conferences and things like that, once we, our children are here in the physical, in the real world. But, you know, how do mental health issues affect the journey of fatherhood and therefore also how children experience their fathers, right? Because a, a, a father who may have fluctuating and or differing levels of mental health is going to have an impact on the way in which he fathers his children, isn't it? Yeah, for, I mean, speaking about mental health in general, <clears throat> when we think about mental health and the way in which it affects us, it's going to affect the way that we show up in our worlds. And this is consistent for people. This is, this is just as consistent as it is for fathers and black fathers. If we are struggling with sadness and depression, 
it's going to impact our ability to show up the way we want to show up. Same things we said with anxiety and, tra- and trauma responses and things like that. W- when I think about black dads specifically, I kind of think I, I kind of think of two avenues, and so uh, there, there's really two avenues. One is the role that we try to occupy as fathers, and the other is how we develop our fatherhood identity. And you know, this is grounded in research that precedes me, but is also emerging in the data that we're collecting about black dads right now, is when we find, especially during this perinatal period, we're talking about that period of, you know, trying to conceive through just shortly after birth, you know, and the way I would define it is you're deep in that perinatal period right now, you're toward the end of it, you know, we're seven months out, we're starting to make our way out of that perinatal period, but the idea is to try to like put a, put some boundaries around what it means to try to become a father, the trying process, the conceiving process, to that very early, oh, I got a kid. How do I make sense of this all? And the roles that we see dads playing, which I think if we say, well, I will say them out loud, as we say them out loud, they they probably won't seem too foreign, but we can talk about the impact of them, is often this idea of one of two things. The strong and silent type or the tough guy. And what we mean by that is the strong and silent type, uh, that this role is this idea of having to um, disengage or suffer in silence. I have to be strong for everybody else. Or more practically in terms of what's happening in our study right now, I have to put everyone else before myself. My partner has to come before me. My children have to come before me. And I want to be clear, that sounds admirable. That sounds, in some cases, appropriate. And what I would also, this is an and remark, not a but, it's an and. And what's the consequence of us, in many ways, ignoring ourselves, ignoring the idea that we have mental health needs too, even though we're not gestating, even though we're not carrying a baby, we still have stuff going on. And if we can't make that an and statement, meaning I I feel I need to take care of my partner who is carrying our child and I need to take care of myself. If we can't add that and in there, what are the consequences of that? Um, this is so deep. So you continue. Yeah. And, and the other one is really that this, this idea of the tough guy, which is in some ways very connected to the strong and silent, but it's this, this notion of being immune to pain. I got this, right? Like it's a almost a complete like blinders up type situation of I got this, I'm okay. It's a minimization, it's a compartmentalization of what we are in fact going through. So in one way we have the strong and silent, this idea that I'm gonna suffer in pain, I'm gonna swallow this down. The other one is almost like convincing ourselves that there's nothing, I'm, I'm fine. Like I don't need, I'm, I'm, I'm immune to harm, I'm immune to pain. I, I've got this entirely. And you know, the analogy I've been using um, in, a, in a group I've been running recently is this idea that it, it, you know, this is the men's group specifically uh, we we for anyone who plays sports or who does anything you've been in that position where you you know pull your hamstring or twist your ankle or something like that and then you just kind of roll through and say no i'm good i got this right I'm, I'm good money i'm okay right and then you know what it feels like to pay play through that pain and then you know what it feels like the next day because you exacerbated it because you said I've got this. I'm not. I'm infallible. I can't be hurt. And then what happens is when we actually slow down and actually feel it, right? Because we might not even really feel the extent of it in the moment. 
bringing it back to pregnancy or fatherhood, we might not feel the extent of what it means to compartmentalize our own physical and mental health throughout those nine, 10 months of pregnancy. Mm. And then when a moment slows down, when we, you know, going back to the sports metaphor, when we lay down and finally start breathing and our adrenaline dies down, well, when the moment slows down and we get a good night of sleep and, you know, let's say we're five, six months in and we're finally getting like, oh, I'm breathing and people are sleeping at night and we're not waking up and we're not doing... It's also this, oh, I've been ignoring this thing. I've present, I've pretended that I've been immune to this thing for yeah. a year and a half now. What does that mean for us physically? What does that mean for us emotionally? Um, mm. you know, and how does that manifest? It might manifest as being short tempered. It might manifest mm. as being angrier or, or, or more irritable. There's a lot of ways that it manifests that sometimes we kind of just write off as, a momentary blip or a slip or something to that effect, but it might be a symptom of us really just not attending to ourselves in an effective way, ignoring that we have needs too on top of the needs that we feel that we must attend to. I, I want to emphasize it. It's not a but, it's an and. Yes, we're going to show up for our partners and we're going to show up for work and we're going to show up for our kids and we need to show up for ourselves. And that last and is the one that I think sometimes we forget because we've been told not to. You know, uh, you asked before about stereotypes. Stereotypes of men typically don't include counseling, don't include emotional expression, don't include things like sharing our feelings. Those stereotypes, those precede us. They've been around way longer than the two of us have been around. Um, Those stereotypes persist. We have words that we call men who are emotional and cry in public. We have words for those men, and they're never good words. They're usually, no, I say never words. They're usually <laughs> not good words. They're usually pejoratives. Mm. That we carry that with us every step of the way. And as we feel that our responsibilities go up, sometimes the urge to combat those stereotypes, minimize those, or in some ways we we we, we internalize those stereotypes and say, well, that's not what I'm going to do in this moment. And all I would say is, I think that probably has a cost. And I'm not saying that men are, you know, what, I, what I'm not trying to say here is, is that men are falling apart. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying there is a cost. And for some men, it's a really big cost. And for others, it's a little bit smaller, but it's still a burden that we're carrying. It's still a weight in that backpack that you're carrying that we sometimes don't acknowledge or, or, or don't recognize. Imagine walking around with a backpack and not acknowledging that you've got weights in that bag. Do you know what I mean? And and I think the more we start to acknowledge and then address those different dynamics that may be affecting our mental health and, and going back to it, you know, like effectively when we use that term mental health, I know this could sound patronizing to some of the listeners, but mental health is not. An- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Negative term, mental health is a descriptor. It's a descriptor of the fact that we can have really positive mental health and be in a really good place. And we can sometimes have mental health that isn't going so well. And it's about what do we do to, you know, put ourselves as often as we feel we can in a position where our mental health is in a good state. But that acknowledging and addressing is a great way to be able to say, oh, look, I've got some weights in my backpack. Yeah. Let me I, see I, if I can take one of these out. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can put it somewhere else. Yeah. That, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's why I love the metaphor of the backpack. I, I, that's, I use that metaphor with my students and with my clients and, and with, with my trainees is the metaphor of the backpack is how much are we carrying? You know, from the yeah. outside, that backpack just looks like a backpack. It can have some papers in it. It can have some boulders in it. And you kind of wouldn't really know only the person carrying it knows so how can we reduce the weight of this backpack and and, and I'm, I'm i'll briefly say you talk about mental health right i like to you I, I appreciate your use of mental health being positive negative and everything in between and i'll even add mental health and wellness is part is, is a broader yeah, picture yeah. of it is just because we're not suffering doesn't mean we can't be doing better Right. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah. Yeah. So like the idea is that maybe I'm not suffering. Maybe I'm still able to do everything that I need to do. That doesn't mean that I can't feel better about my day. It doesn't mean that I can't do things in a more effective way. Um, you know, I, I know one thing that we were we're, we're eventually going to get to is this idea of well, what do we do? And one thing I'm grateful for exactly. is I'm grateful for the men in my adult life, the black men in my adult life who recognize and appreciate everything we're talking about. And you mentioned the book, right? There are a few authors on that book who I count as those people, um, who I can talk to about fatherhood. When my, when my partner and I were going with what I like to call mild infertility, because it, it was technically by definition infertility, but in the grand scheme of things, we ended up having two kids. We didn't need any, any substantive interventions. So I like to classify that it's mild infertility. I had people yeah. to talk with about that, um, black men to talk with about that. And the, the wild thing is, is that once you start talking, you usually find that most other people are feeling the same way that you're feeling. They're just not saying it all the time. And that's where the stereotypes and the narratives come in is, is well, why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we talking about why, how hard it is to be a dad sometimes, how hard it is to be a black dad sometimes, how you get looks sometimes when you're out with your children by yourself without your partner. Or, you know, um, I think I read in the materials walking into this was this idea of how the world reacts to you when you are what I often call the pride right the primary parent in that moment uh, it's a very funny and short story but I, when we did our first flight with my children 
I booked the flight because that's just the role that I play in my household. I tend to do things like that. I, I booked the flight. I booked the tickets. I set up the lap infant seat. I did all that stuff. And they defaulted putting the lap infant to my wife, not me. Even though the card was in my name, everything was done by me. The world defaulted to the child belongs on the mother's lap. Um, you know, little things like that are just like, oh, but that's where the reinforcement comes in is this idea that, well, I'm not supposed to be that person. The world doesn't expect me to be that person. And in some ways you get this, you get praise on the opposite end, which is also might feel good, but it's also weird. I remember early, early COVID, like in my, this was, you know, when my daughter was old enough to walk and run and things like that, we're still being a little cautious with COVID. I would take her to the park. I'm an academic. So my schedule is a little bit more flexible, especially in the summer. So I'd take her to the park almost every day. And the amount of praise that I would get, like I was doing something miraculous because I'm out here with my daughter by myself at the park. People are looking at me like I'm doing some type of, like I'm doing, I'm just doing what any parent would do. I, I'm just taking my kid to the park. But because I'm a man and perhaps because I'm a black man and I'm doing this without my partner, without a woman's presence, it's viewed as abnormal. And in this case, I'm getting probably unnecessary praise um, because I'm pretty sure my wife would not get that praise if she were out there with the kids by herself either. Only I would get that. But that still is questioning and reinforcing a narrative of, well, am I actually better than or good for doing this? I don't, I don't think so. I think I'm just doing what a parent would do. Um, but, being, yeah, but being able to process those things with other men, with other black men who are at various stages in their own fatherhood has been profound for me. It's, it's, I'm tempted to say it's been everything for me to be able to have those conversations that I think some people have a hard time having. Do you know what? I, I've, I, you saying this has reinforced for me the gratitude I have as well for the black men that I have in my life who I can also talk to these things about and who some of them are fathers, some of them are not even fathers yet, but they have without me even asking have almost taken it upon themselves to check in with me some of them it's a quick message how's your mental health bro some of them it's some of them it's like yeah so tell me about the fatherhood experience tell me about like where you're at and be real with me bro and obviously i i've come to realize the importance of being expansive so i am often like these are the things that i'm loving these are the things that i'm still finding challenging whether it be even down to things like yeah getting the balance of continuing to do all of the things that i do professionally but at the same time wanting to prioritize family time and then maybe if you know for example our household routine doesn't go in the way that i normally like so i can prioritize quality time with my partner whilst also being able to get stay on top of work and it's good because I've got spaces to be able to develop so many different perspectives around these different things because we've got spaces to talk. So that's that's huge. Now, you mentioned wanting to move into some solutions and I definitely do. And I think the fact you use the word grateful multiple times makes me wonder the role gratitude plays. So I'm going to kick that off as a potential solution. You can probably expand on it or share some others as well. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because this week alone, I realized that i was going into the week in a bit of a weird headspace i was kind of like i don't know man i just felt like there was a lot happening and as i said it was kind of like okay all of this a lot happening isn't really necessarily to do with me and my partner i think there was a bit of it um that was triggered by on sunday so one of my friend's birthday was on monday so he arranged 
for me and a few of us guy friends to go out and do some activities um, as part of his birthday celebration. So we went to like this virtual reality game thing. Then we just ended up like, someone was like, let's just go arcade. And we ended up going to an arcade. And like, it was like being like big kids again. I was like, right, we haven't been to an arcade in how many years? Do you know what I'm trying to say? So we was doing that. And then I came home and I remember like I came in and I was like playing around a little bit with my daughter. And then I must have just like flicked on a film quickly for myself to sit down and watch while I was eating. And then I remember my fiance goes to me, oh, so is this what we're doing now? We're not watching films together. I said, no, no, it's not that we're not watching films together. It's just that I could see you were doing something else and you were doing other things. And so in my mind, I just needed this time for me. The reason I bring it up is because I went into I went into the next couple of days thinking, wow, why did she assume that I was trying to push her away? And then I said, but Lewis, this is not a time to this is not a time for you to be questioning why she thinks she might have pushed you away. This is a time for you, whilst you're out right now, you're gonna write her a text and you're gonna tell her about all the things you're grateful for, about how much she has been doing, not only as a mother, but how grateful you are for the partnership, the union, all of that. And that was like a moment for me to realize, go back to gratitude and think about, and it's put, it put me immediately into such a better spirit, such a better headspace, all of that. Now, I know toxic positivity is a real thing, but I'm sure gratitude must be part of some of our solutions for bettering our mental health. Do you know what I mean? Well, in, in some ways, I'm actually, I, I so I'm, thank you for the story. And, and in some ways, I, I'm going to, while I hear the gratitude, I'm also going to put an emphasis on communication. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So when I heard that story, what I heard were two things. One comes, one speaks directly to the work that I do as a clinician, especially when I'm working with families with children, is I often use the metaphor of a pie chart, right? And we have that lovely pie chart that is our identities. And what we find as we become parents is that parent identity of the pie chart just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, it's an and question still is, so what's getting smaller? And our identity as an individual sometimes gets smaller. Our identity as a partner in a relationship, an intimate relationship, assuming that you are in an intimate relationship or romantic relationship with the parent of your child, that might get smaller. So what I heard you say was in this moment, you had a moment with your peers to expand momentarily the you, the Lewis identity, the one who is a friend, who's a black man, who's a brother, who likes to kick it with his friends. And then when you got home, you had to shrink that back down because dad identity burst right back on the scene. And then there was a bit of a reminder for you where a nudge came in and said, partner identity, said, what, what, what's happening right here? And when I hear you say that you responded with gratitude, what I heard you saying was, you chose to communicate that there was a recognition in that moment that maybe your partner identity or your partner's identity needed some recognition to say, I'm realizing, and whether you said this consciously or unconsciously, don't really matter, right? The point is that you did it. Um, I'm recognizing in this moment, maybe that part of my identity, the one that's in a romantic relationship, the one that existed before we had children might need yes. a little nourishing because we sometimes lose that part. And it's scary if we lose it. It's best if we try our best to nourish it. And as children get older and need less from us, we can open that part back up, but we don't wanna lose it entirely. And in that moment, you said, let me feed this portion of my identity and our shared identity. Let me nourish it, not just as a parent, because we sometimes lose that too, where we, where we look at our partners and we only nourish and recognize their identity as a parent. 
We also want to recognize it as a partner. We don't want to lose us. So I heard you say, you're an awesome mom, you're also this, and you're also an awesome partner. And I care for you outside of being a parent. So that's what I really heard. And that, that to me comes back to communication and identity recognition, right? It's a recognition of the identities that we carry, the multitude of them and how they vacillate based on setting and time and situation and day and honestly, sometimes moment and choosing to communicate that. Wow. That is huge. I mean, I want to hear from you on some other solutions around how we can better our mental health. And and I'm, I imagine what you're going to suggest is consistent across people full stop. But of course, we're going to focus in where we can on black fathers. But I just want to pick up on that pie chart concept because that's blowing my mind. And the reason I say that is because how I have often communicated up to this point to my partner is that right now there are four entities within our life. There's you, there's me, there's the relationship and there's parenthood. You have a have a need to nourish yourself. I will support the nourishment of you, but there's only so much I can do because you are still you. I have a need to nourish myself. And, and I always talk about often in that bucket kind of thing, the passions I have, what I believe my purpose is in the world. I, I appreciate your contributions and your support, but that's very much something that I need to fulfill, which is why I often say to her, a big part of how I maintain positive mental health is actually being able to do the Lewis stuff. So me mm -hmm. being able to, you know, I love working from home so that I'm around you lot, but actually I do need at least a day when I just go into the office so I'm not around you lot so I can really just be in deep work mode because I, I love my partner to bits, but she's one of those people. If I'm not in a meeting, as far as she's concerned, I'm available. It's like, no, 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 I actually have work to do. So I'm not actually available. Yeah, so babe, now get off the meeting. Let me just talk to you about, it's like, no, no, but my brain was in a deep thought process. So anyway, there's the Lewis part that needs nourishing, which I have to take care of in many ways. Then there's the relationship, which is the, are we going to carve out those those evenings for quality time? Are we going to do those things? Am I going to take that day off and go and do things with the family? Are we going to go and see families go? Then there's parenting, which is us ensuring that we can go about nurturing a beautiful family. And each of those requires their own separate effort, energy, resources, all of that. And so that's for me how I try and describe it. But the pie chart is deep because it makes you go, they're not four separate entities. They're a pie chart. It's the percentages you give it. I'm like, yo, this is nuts. Yeah. And, and, and as you attend to one, you're, you're taking up more space in the pie chart. So when you're out with your friends attending to Lewis, you're not really attending to the other parts of it. You're not attending sure. to your partner. You're not. And that's why I like the pie chart, because we're showing that as yeah. one expands, another one tends to contract. And recognition of that is important. Asking yourself, how, how, which am I attending to the most these days? Which do I want to be attending to the most these days? And if I'm not attending to the one that I want to, well, what's stopping me from doing that? What's getting in the way? So example, like I'm thinking about couples that I work with right, um, historically and right now is we want to be spending more time together, right? So, but if we look at our pie chart, our relationship is a sliver right now. Okay, well, what's getting in the way? of making that sliver bigger. And those are all real things. I don't want to minimize it, right? Parenthood, work, all of these things are real. And if we want to be doing that, the question is how can we maximize it? And the goal isn't necessarily to say, well now, instead of it being 5% of our time, it's going to be 40% permanently. Mm, I don't think that's 
I don't think it's a realistic goal with obligations in life, depending on how you, your life works out. Maybe the goal is, well, maybe tonight we'll bump that yes. up to 30% and we'll let it rock like that. Or maybe once a month we'll make sure we'll do this. Or maybe we'll try to just consistently go from 5% to 8% or 10% through affirmations and through touch and through just little ways to acknowledge that I see you, I care about you, things like that. That's why I like the metaphor of the pie chart because it shows that it's live and that as you adjust in one way, there are, and I keep leaning on the and, as I do this and something else will happen. And talking about mental, you, you're, you're, the, the, the process of this was mental health in terms of what we can do. I think one, a recognition of our identities and the way that we manifest and, and how we put effort toward them is a really important thing. Because when we realize, Huge. as you did, like I'm realizing, you're realizing, Lewis is realizing that if I don't attend to Lewis, if I keep that piece of my pie too small, it's going to reverberate and, and actively impact the others. So I need to make time to open that pie chart up. Otherwise, I'm not going to be the person I want to be over there. Yeah. Recognition yeah. of that. Action of that. Attending to these parts of ourselves. I would also add specifically for, I mean, again, for, for black men, specifically recognizing the role and the impact of stereotypes and narratives. We carry these with us. And again, an acknowledgement of, I'm feeling really pressured right now to make sure that I show up for absolutely everything because I do not want to be viewed as the absentee father, the absentee black dad. We have to start by recognizing that that's what's driving us. Sometimes we don't know what drives us. And if we don't know what drives us, we can't do anything about it. We can't talk to our friends about it. We can't go seek mental health services to process what that is. So if we don't take the stop to recognize when we're, you know, rushing through traffic and trying to get to a thing that was realistically not in our schedule, but we're making it into our schedule. Well, hold on, hold up. Why am I bugging out right now? It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm it's driving it. Yeah. I'm, I'm reflecting on a client right now. A, a client shared with us, he, he, black man with his daughter, and he was trying to get his daughter to the park. And this is, it, it's, it's an example, but it's not a direct example. And he remembers, he's trying to get his daughter to the park, and his daughter's just doing kid stuff. Like, just, I'm over here, I'm over there. And he's finding he's getting frustrated. He's like, yo, we need to get to the park. Like, what's happening? And then he thankfully stopped and said, hold on, do we need to get to the park? Why, why am I, what is my rush to get to the, and that's an example of why am I bugging out right now? Why am I tripping right now? And sometimes it's connected to the stories that we've been told or that we tell ourselves about who we're supposed to be. And if we can't recognize that those stories exist in us, we can't share them with friends. We can't share them with therapists. We can't internally process them ourselves we can't talk with them about our partner so we have to recognize that um one other thing i would add is just a recognition of the way that masculinity shows up in our world i want to be very clear i don't think masculinity is inherently bad or good necessarily i think masculinity serves us different ways for different people sometimes ideas about masculinity being tough being stoic, they might not serve us. Sometimes they do, and I want to be very clear about that. Stoicism, yeah. stoicism can be a very good trait to have. It's attached to masculinity. It's not exclusively to men, to be clear. But stoicism and silence, and that, those can be useful traits. Is it serving me as it relates to my mental health? 
And if it isn't, what can I do about that? We don't want these traits that are typically tied to masculinity to dominate us. We want us to be our authentic selves and also have the capacity to reflect and ask ourselves, how is this thing, this trait, this characteristic of mine serving me? Because if I carry the idea that men don't go to therapy, men don't express emotions, well, maybe that's useful in a context. Maybe, in fact, it was useful for you at a time. Is it serving you well now? That's the question that we want to ask is how is it serving you today in this context? Because we have to recognize what served us before becoming parents might not serve us well at all after becoming parents. So we have to question who is it that I want to be today, not necessarily who I've always been. And, and by asking ourselves those questions, we're going to help to develop a almost a, an internal philosophy, but it's effectively an internal driver, belief system, etc. That means we will then start to embed habits that allow us to show up in that way. And that's why I love the fact that you're using the phrase show up because the questions we ask ourselves, you know, for ages yet, I remember hearing somewhere that the questions we ask ourselves helps to determine the way our brain works. And I couldn't remember what it was called. And then the other day I was like, I've had enough of this. I'm going to Google it. Cause I, I know that there is a term for this. And I, and I remember it was called instinct, instinctive elaboration. Mm. And that's exactly what it is. The more that we ask ourselves questions, it effectively helps us through, I'm guessing it part of it is even neuroplasticity helps mm -hmm. us to then start to develop a way of seeing the world and then embed habits and activities and behaviors that align with how we want to show up. So this is massive. So, I mean, Dr. Tysa, honestly, this has been phenomenal. I mean, just to finish up, are there any resources you'd point people towards? We mentioned the book earlier, but are there any others that you'd point people towards? Yeah. I mean, I would, I always say, I, I always urge people to look to their communities, look to their partners, look to their loved ones. I'm a proponent, I'm a therapist, so I'm always going to be a proponent of therapy. And if you want or need therapy, and again, please know I'm in the States, so much of my resources are for, for folks in the States, but we have services. We have therapy for black men. We have melanin and mental health. You can use a website like Psychology Today to find the therapists that are right for you. Um, you know, we have services like Black Therapists Rock. These are, these are websites and services designed for black folk looking for mental health services. I'm a huge proponent of groups. Um, they're hard to find sometimes, but searching for groups that are tend to be a bit more affordable for most folks because group gr group therapy or support groups, um, just because of the nature of being multiple people, I, it tends to be a bit more affordable. And also there's a lot of value in hearing other people's stories. We feel less alone when we hear someone say, I'm going through something similar. It's mine. It's not exactly yours. It's mine, but I'm going through something similar or I feel similarly to you. So again, look towards your communities, look towards your people, your loved ones, find people that you can have certain conversations with. I, I say this to my clients a lot. When we think about our relationships with people, we typically reserve certain topics for certain people. And we do this inherently, intrinsically, without really thinking about it. Like, if I'm going to talk about this topic, I know who I'm going to share it with. And most people, when we have friends, we go, oh, I know who I'm going to call about this thing. Who are your friends that you can call about when you're stressed out? Who are your friends that you can call about fatherhood and mental health? Think about those people more explicitly. And if you haven't opened that door, consider opening that door if you know that they can be the person. Um, and when in doubt, 
I, I always want to destigmatize the process of therapy. Um, it is not just for those who are suffering. It can be wellness focused. It's often wellness. I mean, I say often. It is. It, it's frequently wellness focused. You do not have to be on the literal edge or the metaphorical edge to be looking for a counselor. There is wellness work to be done. And, and I'm going to circle back because you repeated it. When I said it, this idea of showing up is the goal is just to support you showing up in the way that you want to in your life. And sometimes we just don't know what's in the way. Sometimes we don't know what's blocking us. Um, the stress of work might be blocking us from showing up for our partner. The stress of figuring out what it means to be a dad might inhibit us from showing up um, in our work. We don't know we, we don't often know or sometimes don't know what's inhibiting us from showing up the way we want to. And that's where something like a therapist can be really useful. So I'm a proponent of mental health. I'm always in the same mental health services. Um, I don't say it as a last resort. I usually put it in like like our first list of things because I don't want it to be viewed as a last resort. Um, I do think it's a primary. Mm-hmm. I doubt it's a primary. And I would I would advocate for everything you said. And, I, and we definitely have our alternatives in the UK. So there are definitely... Um, multiple services that focus specifically now on you being able to find therapists who are of the same community as you who have liking so you know i mean obviously dr tice referenced many things over in the states but we have many things of a similar nature here in the uk so please take advantage of those i don't think there's anything else left to be said i can only thank you i can only thank you so much genuinely as we were speaking i was like there's so many things i want to say but i'm like I don't know if we can go to an hour and a half today because <laughs> Dr. Tice's time is valuable. And so let's not do that. Do you know what I mean? But I, can, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of the Dope Black Dads community, the Dope Black community more broadly, because this has been such an enriching conversation. It's been deeply exploratory, but it's been so real and so practical at the same time. And I think what's beautiful about it is the, the anecdotes you've shared, the stories you've shared, the way you've even analysed my stories I think it will genuinely allow people to go, oh my gosh, yeah, this is something that I can now consider. This is something that I can now do. This is something that I can go about reflecting on. So yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Tice. Really, really appreciate your time and really appreciate your contributions, genuinely. I, I Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. I'm humbled to be here. Y'all, you all are doing good work uh, from the Instagram page and beyond. Y'all, you all are doing some dope stuff. So, so I'm grateful to be here, truly. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Shannon. This has been another episode of the Dope Black Dads podcast. I am Lewis Howell. I was joined by our amazing guest, Dr. Tice Nadrich, and we'll see you on another episode. Dope Black Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.